From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Are You Not Entertained? Joining me, as always, to entertain you uh, are the two Cavaliers themselves, Giles Morgan and Roger Mitchell. Giles, come in, mate. Are you there? Grant, hello. I'm very, very well indeed. It's very nice to hear your voice again. You too, my friend. You too. And our man in the lake. Yeah. Yeah. All good here, Grant. Nice to see you. Nice to see the captain as well. It's, um, it's lovely to be back. It is bloody cold. It's bloody cold here in London. I've got to say, heating needs to be on. I've, it's been all a bit of a shocker. I don't know where it is for the rest of the world, but probably not in the Cayman Islands. It's never cold in the Cayman Islands, Charles. <laughs> never cold in the Cayman Islands, my friend. That's one thing we can guarantee. Well, listen, gents, we have um, we have a very, very special guest joining us today, a friend and an inspiration. Charles, why don't you let people know who we're going to be chatting with shortly? Yeah, thanks, Grant. Um, Well, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the game of cricket, um, the term an all-rounder is coined for a player who bats, bowls and fields, which in in English means smacks the ball, chucks the ball and catches a ball. Um, (laughs) What you might might call a a jack-of-all-trades, in other words, but not um, a master of none, but a master of all. It's a very, very specialist, um, extraordinary ability. And Chris Cairns, uh, former Kiwi all-rounder, has been doing that on and off the field for a good number of years. And his story is extraordinary. He is the son, himself, of a New Zealand cricketing icon, Lance Cairns. And so in that shadow, Chris grew up to also, in his own right, become one of the greatest ever cricketers that New Zealand ever produced. He was a a genuinely quick bowler and a a very aggressive um, batsman. And I reckon he could quite easily have been an all-black as well, given he's built like a brick shithouse. (laughs) Um, His his records with the bat and ball are really too numerous to, to mention, and they'll bore people. But safe to say he was, I think, as destructive as a certain Ian Botham. And one of the pioneers of the game as it evolved into the short form of cricket. On his retirement in 2006, he then threw his, as you're going to discover, boundless energy into business. And with his most recent venture, Smart Sport is looking to disrupt sport and be a pain in the arse as he was on the field. But throughout his life, Chris has had his fair, it's fair to say, his fair share of challenges. In 1993, his sister Louise was killed in a train accident, something that then Chris lobbied very hard for for many years to get safety back in New Zealand. In 2013, he was subject of match-fixing allegations, which after a long, long fight, he was cleared of those charges, but horrific for a sportsman to have integrity challenged. But his greatest challenge um, came this year when in August Chris suffered a major heart attack following an aortic um, dissection in Canberra and he was rushed to Sydney and he suffered a stroke in his spinal column and now paralysis. And throughout all of this, here's the thing, 
Chris Cairns is a fighter. And for those of you who've seen his recent social media posts, this is the man with, um, with the heart of a lion. And I think we should meet him. Chris Cairns. Chris, welcome to the show. Nice to see you. Thank you, John. Very good to see you. Well, it is, and and, and it's a bit of a mir- it's a bit of a miracle to see you. you've been in in the wars. Um, tell our listeners who are not cricket fans about what on earth you've been up to in the last three months. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it brief, mate, because it's quite an elongated story. But uh, effectively, uh, I suffered uh, firstly an aortic dissection, uh, which you know, let alone knowing the meaning, I didn't even know how to spell uh, about uh, four months ago, and. Um, which has effectively made it say um, a tear in one of the main uh, arteries uh, from the heart, um, a lot of internal bleeding. Um, scarily, the, the, the fact that one in four um, is your odds of dying uh, at that very early stage, um, I suppose highlights the, the severity of, of what an aortic dissection is, goes misdiagnosed uh, a lot. Um, not that common. And so, you know, fortunately, I, I got to the hospital uh, pretty quickly, diagnosed, um, subsequent surgeries occurred, mate, um, of which, you know, the heart uh, then had some, some issues and some troubles, and I had uh, multiple organ failure. So it was a, I did a pretty good job uh, on, on things. But uh, luckily, uh, great surgeons down here in Canberra and Sydney uh, saved the heart. So I, I sort of went through that. But unfortunately, during that process, um, I was also diagnosed with a spinal stroke. Um, so, you know, it was, it was something which uh, occurred. Um, and again, a spinal stroke, stroke is not an overly common occurrence. Um, but effectively, mate, that means that uh, oxygen is deprived through a, because of a blood clot that occurred during that whole sort of complex process that I was going through with the heart. Um, and that meant um, the sensory nerves um, in the spinal cord, uh, it's almost like a blackout is probably the best way to describe it. Uh, and then that translates across to uh, the neural pathway being interrupted. Um, having black spots in there, for lack of a better phrase, uh, and then and then that in turn means that your uh, various muscles turn off um, because of that sensory aspect of the nerve. And uh, for me, it was an, an anterior injury, which means uh, my backside, uh, hamstrings, calves uh, are pretty much in remission. Um, and so we're currently sort of in rehab, uh, trying to uh, stimulate those areas and and and, and sort of get that pathway back back up and running but you know the, the the only thing that's constant is the information coming from the specialist which is they don't know um it's a really complex situation so mate i'm, I'm currently in rehab here in canberra just trying to, to to do the best i can well and i think for the the many thousands of people who have followed your story um and your own social media posting uh uh, no surprise to those of us who know you that the way that you are taking this uh, hostile bowling on um, <laughs> in terms of you're giving it you're giving it everything back I've seen the exercises all of the stuff how has that been mentally for you in terms of I, I think you only have one gear which is forward but <laughs> has that been very very useful to you it must have been just to, to, to be yeah. resolute yeah yeah that's a good point I mean I, I come from a background of, of rehabilitation I had about 123 injuries um, in the first two years of my career of cricket. So um, I sort of, I understand the process and the boredom um, that comes with, with rehab. And um, and so, yeah, you get in a mindset which is uh, just trying to, to I think, um, eke out 
any little thing you can. Uh, I'm used to muscles and bones. Um, may they have a definitive time frame, six weeks, um, and you're back. But the one thing about the whole neural pathway and the nerve aspect is that there is no timeline. Um, these things will turn on when they want to turn on and if they turn on. So you very much just have to have a, a mindset, which is get up every day, do what you've got to do, push the chains forward inch by inch um, and, and see what happens. And do you think that being um, a sports person who played at the highest level, which in, involved recovery from training, absolute from injury rather, training, the kind of obduracy and stubbornness that many sports people talk about in terms of getting to the top. Is that serving you well now? Uh, yeah, it's probably not an over-endearing trait to carry in, in life in general to be that way uh, as a top sportsman because you can you get some real assholes um, when you you know, if you're in that mindset, uh, but you sort of have to be that in sport a little bit. Um, but and in this situation, it's working well for me. And as I say, and sometimes in life, it, it, it perhaps doesn't, uh, it doesn't. But mate, in this instance, uh, being that single-minded um, and that focused is really the only only option, Java. And um, and you know, and that's that's really what I'm adopting. Chris, let, let me ask you to come back to to the injury itself, and and really your first awareness of what had happened. Because from my reading of, of uh, text messages and, and, and media coverage, it just kind of happened out of the blue. And so so you, when you when you first realized the extent of what's happened, how's your mindset at that point? Because you know, I've spent some time this year with a friend of mine who was diagnosed with cancer and literally given two months to live and beat the odds. You know, And, and again, like you, their dedication was... I mean, such an inspiration to me, but that mindset that just flips in, there's no time for pity. There's no time for why me? How did that play out for you? Because I, I, I'm just fascinated by different people's reactions to this kind of situation. I think it helps to have a hard-ass Aussie wife who gives you no time to feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and I do think, I do think like, when you're going through something like this, it, it is whether you're a couple or a family, I think that's so important and really, really important where, you know, you have that. that um, and, look, you know, you, you hear so often as well, Grant, that, you know, people who go through things like this, whether that's that cancer or it's a stroke or some type of injury um, that's severe, life-threatening, um, you know, you, you do get a really close bond um, with those around you, and it's that's very, very true. And um, and so to not have that ability to feel sorry for yourself, I think, is important. You know, you still need to grieve and have those, um, you know, tough days uh, because for me, you know, I'm facing the prospect of being in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Um, and so that means my life as I knew it is is not going to be the same. It's going just to be different. And considering that for me, uh, death and brain injury were probably pretty high on the list. Um, I'm pretty lucky really to be sitting here talking with you guys. And, you know, it's just a case of um, when you find yourself, I think, in these sort of situations, um, you know, it's, 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 it is hard. Look, don't get me wrong. And, um, but I think it comes down to um, uh, accepting where you're at, um, having you know the support of those around you, and 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 also I've been very fortunate mate, to have the support of a, of, of a significantly wider community of, as well. Yeah. It's been really humbling, um, and that that also fuels you um, to to sort of keep those things going. And um, and humour, you 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 have to laugh. You really you really do. And I think you know that's 
that's so important because you're going to, I mean, there's situations I've found myself in recently um, where, you know, you can laugh or cry and <laughs> yeah. and you just have to approach that mate of, of, of doing that. And I think from a specialist point of view, they tend to give you the facts about where you fit within the box. But as you said, your friend recently perhaps defied some of those um, situations or those um uh, you know, those, um, what the rules say should happen. And, you know, that's because of the intangible, which I think is the mind. Um, and I so think true. That plays, a, yeah, that plays a heck of a part in, in the strength of, of what you've got to try and get through them. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's so true. And that's, that's what struck me, you know, following you and following her at the same time is that it's, it's, you're right. It's, it's all here. And, yeah, and that, that positive attitude yeah, you, people kind of make platitudes about it all the time. You know, you've got to be strong. But when you see something like that in action and say we've seen it from you through social media, I've seen it from Kim as she's gone through this. You, when you see that, it truly is a remarkable thing to to behold. Because, I mean, you know, we've all thought to ourselves, you know, what if, what if, what if. Yeah. And the closest thing to being in that position yourself is to see people you know well go through that. And it's, I mean, it's it, it's so inspirational to see that kind of courage in the face of adversity. It really is. I just it's hard to put into words. No, no, yeah, thank, thank you. But I think also as well, man, it's one of those sort of things that you think will never happen to you uh, as well. Yeah. So you tend to sort of look at it from the outside, and you look in, and you know, I'm, I'm the same. You know, you'll see great stories of courage, and and then when you find yourself in that sort of vortex, it's it's you know, again, it's you know, you go through some days where it's like you know why me um you know why has this happened uh but then again like i say you have a hard-ass Aussie wife who doesn't give you the, the chance to do that and that's and it is so important and you know you you want that support and that i mean but you know now my wife um for the first 10 days of what i went through now i have no recollection of anything of i mean i had four heart surgeries um i was you know on death's bed um, multiple organ failure, uh, and she was there holding my hand the whole time, living every second of it. Um, and yet, I have zero recollection of any part of that that time. So, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have someone so supportive, which is, uh, you know, how she important. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Mel, Chris. Um, you know, I think uh, people sh- should also understand that when you had to get moved to Sydney, for some of that period, she wasn't able to come t- with you. So, so literally, both of you were on your own, and and you know it's very difficult to seeing you here now to see, you know you look a million dollars. Your 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 spirit is amazing. It's really amazing, Chris. Um, and I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about her as well. And when we see, you know, the postings you made of you know you going through the gravel on your chair with it with your daughter, it's I don't think you realise how much it means. Oh, no, th- thanks, Roger. And, you know, with, with Mel, you know, when she had that, she actually said that that time when I uh, was airlifted uh, by the chopper from Canberra to Sydney um, to the sort of the heart specialist in, uh, in, in St. Vincent's in Sydney, uh, Mel actually had, yeah, they, they were out of contact because they weren't, they initially weren't sure they were going to take me up there because they weren't sure I would actually take, um, uh, make the trip. And so, you know, that was a big thing. Then they, they took me and rushed me up there. And so for that sort of hour and a half, two hours, there was no contact. And that's the first time that Mel had sort of had almost a, a quiet time and a lull. And, and, she, and she said that was 
you know, one of the worst is she burst into tears and, and that's when she actually sort of, because she'd been holding it together during that time. And um, and for her, um, how serious that was, was that she actually went home and put some Bruce Springsteen and U2 on, which is my <laughs> favourite, <laughs> and sort of, and had and had the, sort of that moment to, to herself. But she said that was the, the most harrowing, was sort of finding out, you know, if if things were going to be okay with me getting up to Sydney and, um and of course, with COVID as well, and it was at that time it was a, a real shambles here in Australia. Um, but um, you know, we had uh, a great team up there, Rog and Sydney, and um, you know they managed to sort things out with the heart, and we got through it. So it was great. Let me, um, Chris. Let me. Well, I should just say first things first is it's it is fantastic to see you looking so good, and I think you may be our only guest who's um, clearly had a, a barber come in early, maybe had some makeup <laughs> done, and maybe someone just doing the trim because you do look. I've just you, you, a you do. <laughs> Nobody gets out of bed looking like that. No one. No one gets <laughs> out of bed. I, I want to go back a bit, to sort of explore your story as well, because it is a remarkable story, Chris. Is you um you grew up 51 years ago or whatever but you were the son of a legend you genuinely were Lance Cairns was was one of the greats he was an icon of New Zealand cricket and world cricket and you went on and were pretty special yourself just share a little bit about what growing up having Lance Cairns as a dad in what is a small country and therefore reveres its heroes in, in a pretty special way you know the Colin Meads is of this world you know Lance Cairns Paddles Hadley would be up there but your dad was one tell us a little bit about a being clearly a young athlete that was growing up playing rugby and cricket what was that like? Yeah, well, with Dad, Dad was very much the folk hero of uh, of New Zealand cricket. Richard Hadley was a superstar, you know, and there was and New Zealand was was a rugby nation, um, and they sort of Dad really brought the broader audience into into cricket, uh, just through the style that he played um, and how he went about the game, and you know, Richard was so Richard was. Um, you know, a, a superstar, methodical with his um, approach. Um, you know, some would say boring uh, because of the way that he went about things or how he did. Um, but you know, his ability to um, to perform at the highest level and the commitment to do all of that. It, you know, it sort of whereas Dad um, sort of went out and had a smile on his face and a laugh and a beer and uh, you know, sort of got um, uh, 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 should we say a a reputation for uh, that style of play. So he was, you know, very much the people's fan. Uh, but Richard Hadley was the so, so that was, and I was just a fan of the game, Jolly. I never, I never really, uh, you know, mum and dad split when we were when I was ten. So he was touring a lot of the time. You know, back in those days, it was, you know, there was, you know, big long tours, and then he'd come home and play and. You know, they'd make the grand sum of $148 for the entire summer. So it was like, it was, so they had to make up for it somehow. So they just drank a heap of piss and smoked bags and had a great time. <laughs> so, so that was, that was cricket in the 70s and 80s. Um, but then, you know, I was, I was just a fan of, of him as a cricketer. I mean, he wasn't my favorite cricketer. Um, don't get me wrong. Like I, Ian, you know, Ian Botham and Viv Richards were, were my heroes in the game, but I just, I love dad for the way that he played the game um and you know and so you know that that sort of uh way and approach that he had um you know was a breath of fresh air and and for him and i um you know the fact that we only had five years between him finishing uh and me starting or might have even been four and a half years um we the previous record i think was something like about 15 or 20 years between father and son playing so i so i had um you know guys 
in my dressing or in the dressing room when I first played for New Zealand who were there when I was like nine or ten years old. So it was, it was weirder for them, I think, with me in that environment than it was for me. But uh, look, I was, I was proud to be uh, dad's son. And, I know, and did, I know, uh, but, did, did you want to be like him in terms did it, or did he affect the, the way he played the folk hero? Did you want to be the folk hero or were you more applied? I mean, you smacked the ball a lot and you were quick, but did you consciously make a decision of how you wanted to be seen amongst kids as you started to make the grade? Well, he had such a such a shit action that there's no way they wanted to copy him. <laughs> he, was, he was like Max. He was like Max Walker on steroids. But um, you know, he uh, he was he was someone who, um, yeah. Again, I was again. I think I was more intense. Dad was never. Dad was never driven in that way. You know, he was he was a bloke who just he just he just loved to play. Not that I didn't love to play but you know he never took it he never took it that seriously he he honestly never he never saw himself bowl until he was about 21 22 uh, because well back then there was there was no there was no coverage or there was he, he thought he, he said he thought he thought he bowled like richard happened he honestly thought <laughs> that he had this classical action and so he said he, he watched he saw some footage on tv and he's like who is that guy? <laughs> and, like, and and then and that was he was almost he was mortified that he he had this action when he thought that he actually looked like Richard Evans. And then, at what point did you realise that you were stepping out of the shadow and 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 just doing it yourself? Was there a moment where you thought, "I'm no longer Lance Ken's son. I'm Chris Ken's, and I can I'm doing this myself," or, or well, did it not really I, happen? I, yeah, I, I just, because there was such a short amount of time between him and I. I never really sort of got out of the shadow. And, you know, I read many, many years ago, I read uh, Pavarotti's book and, um, and he said that, you know, in his hometown uh, in Italy, uh, his father, so Pavarotti's father, was still considered to be the better singer um, in that hometown. And, and so Pavarotti actually said that it took him many, many years before he actually performed in his hometown in Italy, but he was, he was this global superstar who, you know, had exceeded anything that his father had done at a, a regional level. And yet in people's minds, it's like, well, you know, so, so I was very much like that. I tour Australia and, you know, and one of the first times that there was an article that came out and said that, you know, when Chris Cairns came out to bat, uh, we wish that his, um, his, you know, his backside was a little broader, his forearms were a little bigger, and, you know, and his shoulders were a little wider. In fact, we just wish that he was his father. Um, so, you know, it's these sorts of, these sorts of things that, uh, you know, you've got. But, mate, I, I, was, on a, I was on a pathway um, of my own, and, and that sort of stuff never bothered me. Chris, how did you meet Giles? You know, because the, of the three of us, uh, uh, Giles, Giles is the first one that you met, and um, I, I, I just can't imagine. Like it's like the odd couple. What is the story? <laughs> be, what is the story behind your friendship? Yeah, well, Jolo was he came out to um, Abu Dhabi. So Mel, my wife, was um, uh, her company was uh, uh, organising a, a forum in in Abu Dhabi around two thousand eight or nine or somewhere around there, um, and uh, they had guest speakers and Mel had a coup and and bringing this uh, sponsorship guru uh, out from uh, the UK, um, <laughs> sort of attached to the HSBC brand and arguably. 
the best job in sport. And, and when, um, and when and he so, could make it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, so, um, and so Mal, Mal had sort of been um, uh, liaising uh, with Jairo to come out and whatnot. And, um, and so she's sort of like, her, her, her radar is normally pretty good with uh, who's, a, who's a good bloke. And so uh, when Jairo came out, we, we had a bit of a, uh, a get-together um, where, you know, the speakers and stuff went out. So I... I tagged along and um and then you know i sort of saw this tall sort of pompous wanker um <laughs> over in the, the corner and i thought oh, that must be giles morgan and um and so i um uh, ended up sitting next to each other um that night and um and we just hit it off instantly and and with the whole the rugby and the the, the cricket um, uh, aspect, and and I think you know the the love of good chat and, and good wine. Um, it's it's pretty hard not to to gravitate towards Jolo, and um, and then obviously when you know singing starts and piano playing uh, begins to occur, um, then you know it's it's even harder not to like him. Um, so so we just we just hit it off um, there and then and stayed in touch and. And uh, you know, and, and our friendship evolved, and um, and uh, so yeah, so Mel was the instigator of that, and uh, and it was it was great. I never. But were you, were you not his best man or something? Were you not at his wedding or something? No, no, we, we, we yeah, it was luckily I made the cut. Um, it was a very exclusive uh, wedding in New Zealand, uh, attended by many many celebrities, um, and uh, we had a we had a great time. But I've I've had a few. Um, uh, situations and occurrences with Jolo, but the I think one of the highlights was his stag do. Uh, and we had that, of course, in, you know, where else would you hold your stag do other than Lords? Um, you know, if you're a, a sort of a, a highfalutin English... Well, it's not... Uh, Jolo, are you... Like, do you, do you deem yourself as Welsh or you... I mean, are you... Like, where, where do you sit with all of that? Like, is that sort of... Because you talk like a completely posh Englishman, um, but you're down and dirty Welsh, though. I mean, how does that, does that sort of describe Don't, don't lose at? the story, by the way, Chris. I'll just very quickly say, uh, family is Welsh, brought up in England, so the accent is very English, everything else is very Welsh. Put it that way. Well, well it, sort of, it sort of gets Welsh as the night goes on, a little bit more so. It starts, <laughs> it starts to come in. But look, we had a wonderful uh, crew at Lords for Jilo's, um, uh, for his stag do. And um, and there was uh, uh, we ended up having we spiced it up a little bit. There was a bit of rain sort of floating around, and the game was sort of meandering a bit. So we decided to to toast um, Jilo on many occasions with some <laughs> shots of vodka. Uh, unbeknown to Jolo, everyone else was drinking water, um, except for Giles, who was drinking vodka. Ended up drinking. All of the vodka. Um, so, so we we, uh, we had a great um, exit from there, sort of around the Harris Gardens area. For those who have been to Lords, I mean, you know, I've, yeah, very, I very really even watch a ball at Lords, so I get into the Harris Gardens and sort of get swallowed up uh, by the uh, the occurrences out there. And and then Jilo uh, uh, made his way home um, and had to stopped the odd time uh, on the way home, but uh, got there. Uh, and it was a, a, a wonderful day and a goodie. Yeah, I, I have no, I have nothing to add to the story other than, <laughs> other than all I can tell you is walking over Wandsworth Bridge, which is a, a fine old bridge in West London. I had to take off the jacket I was wearing and throw it over into the river <laughs> because I deemed that it was no longer usable ever again. <laughs> 
Uh, can we move on now? Can we move on? Yeah, no, I, th- I think we should. I think we should. Listen, let's let's, let's um, put the past in the past, <laughs> particularly in Jars's case. And, and let's talk about the future, Chris, because you're someone who throughout his life and his career has been someone that sets goals for themselves, no doubt, in schoolboy cricket and in county cricket and, and on the world stage. So, so ha- how do you take that mindset into the kind of goals you have to set yourself now, which are, are more important, but much more difficult to kind of conceptualize, I'd imagine? Um, Grant, on, on the show, it's great. You, you ask the best questions by Mark. So I'll say this by George. Unbelievable. And he continues to do so, Roger. I mean, this is a lesson in, in broadcast journalism. Like it's just happening before We, we weren't getting eyes. into the good stuff. I was going to talk about, <laughs> about that gay lad up in the hostel. <laughs> <laughs> You can take it wherever you want to go, Rog, but this one's mine. But, but Grant, I think, um, and again, it's, if you know, coming from, a, I suppose, a background, which is, you're right, it is goal setting and I've always been that way inclined. Um, the one thing about this particular journey I'm on now is that, mate, it's almost like you almost, you can't set goals because the, the ability for you to, um, I think, focus on the journey and the direction rather than the goal and or the destination um, is really, really important. And I, I picked that up from actually from someone who was in a similar situation to me and, um, and passed that um, nugget of gold on because they said simply that if you, if you have that mindset that you used to have, um, you'll just end up in a world of hurt um, because you'll, you'll keep missing goals, you'll keep missing because this um, this uh, neural pathway uh, will go on its own time frame. So, you know, you, you literally just have to get up every day uh, and do what you do, focus on, like I said, focus on the journey and the direction rather than the, you know, the end goal or the, the destination. And, and since I've adopted that mindset, mate, it's actually been uh, a lot more uh, comforting and I think a lot more achievable. And, um, and there's less pressure on yourself um, and you're really just doing doing everything that you can and what will be will be um, and so you know that's that's the way that I've had to approach that um, and so it's been a big shift in the way that I think um, but it's one that I think is really really important otherwise you'll you know you'll be in for a, 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 a sort of too many ups and downs of it. Chris quick question was well, and, and a tricky question but I'm going to ask it anyway you've gone through what all of us who play sport to the shits levels most of us do is but you've gone and been on the world stage and been an idol to many many kids then you had to endure all of the ignominy and the the hurt of the the match fixing that that happened in that whole case and the court case that you had to fight and and cases that you won but you had to go through that and where I know in your own country there were people who were less than generous and they the tall poppy syndrome that we have in uh, England and Scotland and New Zealand and Australia exists very strongly and now you've had this extraordinary setback misfortune with with the injury but with the way that you've conducted yourself the way that you're fighting the way that you're telling your story you're inspiring many more people than even your cricket days in terms of what it really means to be a human being. How have you found that that the sort of the curve of up and down, then up, sort of hero, villain, hero? How, how you how do you how are you coping with that? 
Yeah, uh, good question. You know, I, I think um, off the back of uh, the stuff that happened pre-injury, um, I've almost uh, drawn a, a line in the sand with that, Jilo, because but that's only been really uh, adopted because of the genuine nature of um, well wishes um, that have come out cricket community. Um, you know, perhaps there was some frostiness um, uh, created by the situation I went through previously in the court cases, etc. But you know, with life and death. Um, and just being a human being, a lot of that broke down, um, I found. And, you know, it's been uh, refreshing and, and fantastic to, to sort of be in touch with people that I perhaps hadn't been in touch with for some time um, and, and reconnecting. And almost it seems that, you know, um, uh, the past is the past, mate, and the future is the future. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with something as serious as this, um, then you know you, you you just get on with it and you get on with life and and hang ups etc tend to be mate, tend to be f- frivolous. And I'm so pleased you say that. One of the thing that's been going on, obviously, in, in cricket recently over here, where allegations and Twitter mm. from ten years ago, and there seems to be societally a real problem in the world where human beings, because of digital um, memory and lo- longevity, the, the forgiveness and forgetting things. Uh, and things moving on is much harder to do than it used to be where time would heal and it seems to me that you're a living embodiment now of this is the future you've always been about putting the past behind whatever it is you know whether it's a you've been out for a duck in cricket or whatever it is is you put the past behind you and let's move on is that something that you're very aware of which is tomorrow is another day and this is always about looking ahead uh, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you get things in perspective when you go through something like this. And, um, and you know, we, we often make uh, mountains out of molehills. And, and I know what you said, which is probably more of a mountain, and the fact that that situation at the moment in England and English cricket, um, with that sort of uh, historic um, uh, racism aspect of, of uh, you know, um, uh, what's going on. And, you know, there's some significant fallout from that and, you know, and people um, potentially losing careers um, off the back of these types of things. And it's, it's such a delicate um, uh, thing uh, which cricket is going through over there. And I know that Michael Vaughan is in the middle of that storm. Um, and so, you know, how far how far back do you go? How hard do you go against someone um, uh, with things where, you know, like I said, people losing their livelihoods and losing their careers is a On hearsay, huge basically hearsay. Correct. And it's a I huge mean, price uh, to pay, Rog. I mean, like you lived that, Chris, and you, you had to take a huge amount of money and a, a major part of, of your life to, to clear your name twice. Um, uh, I, I, I've got a real issue with uh, people losing their livelihoods over hearsay, you know, we're all brought up in, on, on another uh, legal system. So um, I, I really get quite angry about that, mainly because, you know, I've known you and I know the, the inside story of, of what you went through. Um, I just w- wish people would realise that life isn't black and white. L- life is full of uh, mistakes and um, many shades of grey. And um, all, all of us are sinners. Uh, and, 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 you know, if Michael Vaughan... I just don't like, you know, that the, 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 he's he's on the screen, but when he comes on here, BT Sport are going to kind of like obscure him or something like that. You know, uh, it's just awful. Just truly and, and awful. The, and I think as well, Rich, when, when there's no chance of, um, def- I mean, there's there's no recording of it. There's no, I mean, there's video footage of the game before they go onto the field, but 
there's no audio. I mean, there's no. I mean, you. How, how does he defend himself in, in that situation? And I and I, I really feel for the young bloke who's you know gone to Parliament and put his case forward because obviously there were things there. So, but when we look back historically, 13 years ago, and to be able to pinpoint that particular moment and ruin someone's life off the back of that, not forgiving that this young um, uh, cricket player from, from Yorkshire, you know, said that his life was was ruined as well. But I think if we um, keep it in perspective and weigh it up on balance, let's, let's move forward with what the improvement should be from the day that these things, um, uh, you know, are being talked about and discussed. So, but to historically go back and start scrubbing stuff out, I think it's such a dangerous, it's such a dangerous, dangerous game to be playing. Yeah, Chris, I, I agree. You know, and I, we've obviously, as Giles said, we, we've all played sport at, on a completely different level, but the dressing room is the dressing room. And, you know, no matter if you're in, a, in a, an international representative team or a Sunday league bunch of guys who are all still hammered from the night before, there is still a camaraderie and, and a level of banter in a dressing room that, of course, always used to stay in the dressing room. And, and look, I mean, the UK culture is is rooted in sarcasm and taking the mickey out of people. And and if people don't take the mickey out of you, that's the time to worry because they're not your mates, you know. And so, you know, I've watched this unfold and I, you know, we've see, we saw the testimony and it was horrific to listen to. But there is that part in the middle where you always make fun of your mates but you, you make fun of the, the reasons they're different, whether it is their ethnicity or their big feet or their big ears, it doesn't matter. You you always go for that. And there's a point where if that person said, look, this genuinely upsets me, it's over. You know, you, you, it, it's a very difficult culture to try and explain to people that haven't lived it. So just if, if you can, just try and help people understand that kind of atmosphere in those dressing rooms with all the pressure. And as you said earlier on, you're going through it, you're going through it, you have to laugh. It's such a release valve to be able to make fun of yourselves in terrible situations. And I think as well culturally, man, because as you said, the, the English style is very um, innuendo-based um, and very quick-witted. Um, and so, you know, it's it's something – but at times, you know, if you're in that um, combative environment, uh, it can be a little bit cynical. Um, but again – that's life. You get that in, in any workplace or, 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 but Grant, the point you made, I think, which is the most poignant is that if someone says to you enough, mate, you're, you know, you're, 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 it's, it's enough. Um, you know, at sometimes um, historically, whether it's a decade ago, uh, would a young Asian uh, bloke have the courage to, to stand up? Uh, maybe not, maybe not at that time. Um, but subsequently someone um, has had the courage to stand up and say, you know that was that was too much. It was enough. But then to us to go back and judge that on today's values and environments again, man, I just think it's such a dangerous game yeah. to be playing with people's lives. And um, and I think that you know going forward, <clears throat> there's there appears to be you know quite a bit of knee jerk reaction to to what's gone on. But you know a sensible hand is is required to just keep it in perspective do the right thing going forward um, because we live in different times now. The times we live in now weren't 2008. That was the times then, and those times in 2008 weren't 1995. And if we keep bunny hopping back, and yeah, that causes you know, even, even more damage. But then, of course, we have media and mainstream media mate, who jump on board of that because it's topical and it's and it's you know shark bait and they can drive that and, and, and do what they've got to do. So, yeah, it's... 
you know, someone is left holding the can and, you know, unfortunately at this stage it appears that Michael Vaughan um, is, that, is that person. Amen. Chris, talking of, of different times, one of the things I, I, I feel about you as a player, it, we talked about Botham and Richards, perhaps in particular, the, the guys who used to empty the bar, as it used to say, and empty the tavern stand as, as they'd come in. Well, and well they, they st- did that and play cricket, you mean they did that on their own. All on their own. All on their own. But you seem to be a player through the 90s who particularly with your batting you were very aggressive you you absolutely smacked it ever which was a star that New Zealand really w- were one of the pioneers but it seems to me that you're one of the sort of players that even before 2020 was invented you were beginning to get to that point moving forward as we see the game change and there are those who are test match advocates those who love 2020 we have the 100 over here which is I think done a great job of attracting kids and, and particularly uh, girls to the game where do you feel as you now watch the game and you watch the game that you love and you grow up with as a little boy through your dad? Where, where do you see cricket now as a as a spectator sport? Well, the, well, the IPL, um, you know, the creation of that I think has has been phenomenal. Um, you know, I I watched the, the last sort of ten overs of the India New Zealand match last night, um, and I, I was laughing to myself because. Um, my wife Mel, she just she doesn't get cricket at all. She's like, how can you play for five days and nobody wins? She said that's the most ludicrous um, situation in sport that is. But that's that's the beauty of the madness um, and of what of what Test match cricket is. You can bust your balls for five days and no one wins, uh, and yet you walk off the field with such a you know a a, a, a degree a, a massive loss if you haven't got that win, or there's such a sense of euphoria if you've saved that game. So that's the unique part of what test cricket is. Um, and then you've got T20, um, which sits at the other spectrum uh, and which, you know, uh, the IPL has created a, you know, multi-billion dollar uh, business. And um, and so I, I only see that window getting bigger and bigger and bigger. A bit, a bit like my, what, county cricket was in the 70s and 80s um, where everybody went there because that's where you made your money. So for six months, you know, you played county cricket um, as an international player if you were good enough. Um, and I see that window of IPL getting bigger and bigger um, and taking more out of the international season because, you know, anything that's substantial in sport generally comes from a domestic league. You look at all of the top revenue-generating sports leagues in the world there's none that are international outside of every four years for a World Cup. Everything is about um, having a domestic league that then generates the revenue. And, and cricket has had the international tours and it's been dominated by the international game. But the IPL, that's going to, in the next 100 years, maybe the IPL will become the EPL uh, of equivalent. So, you know, it, cricket, and will that mean players will protect their multi-million dollar contracts over earning a couple hundred grand for test cricket? Probably, yeah, because that makes sense. So will we see the death of test cricket over time? Maybe, um, because players will have fear of injuring themselves, Charlotte, because as the contracts go up in the IPL, are you going to potentially ruin a 10-year career in IPL for injuries and in, in test cricket sustained by bowling or whatnot? So these are the things that are going to happen as the IPL grows. Yeah. And how have you 
uh, you've t- taken uh, note, I'm sure, of the 100. Do you think the 100 um, as a format was required? I mean, it's a kind of 2020, but slightly different in order to differentiate for the uh, for English cricket board, I guess, to have a new product, their own product. But it's they've obviously been able to add all the bells and whistles they can, the marketing team can dream of. Do you think that's been good or do you think it's been too much? Well, well, look, let's again, the elephant in the room, um, the ECB all stood up when they didn't go in with the, the BCCI to, to jointly own the IPL, right? That was arguably one of the biggest fuck-ups in sport uh, with, with what happened at that juncture where the, the ECB just sort of said, oh, no, we've got our T20 uh, league here in England and we think that that's fine. So, hey, look, you in India with your 1.2 billion market of population, no, no, you, you can go and do your own thing and we won't be part of that. So I, to this day, man, I don't know who made that decision to not go in. You're, 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 you're surprising me, Chris, oh. suggesting that the governing bodies of sport are perhaps lacking in vision. I'm really surprised <laughs> that you're putting that on the table. Yeah. And, look, I, I, and then, look, I mean, bless them. Uh, the ECB have come up with uh, the 100, which is, you know, uh, look, I which has its merits and, and has, you know, uh, the benefits in creating a product. And the public seem to have gravitated towards it and like it. But, you know, it's sort of equivalent to saying, well, let's play football over 80 minutes instead of 90 minutes and we'll go and have another league and, and do something completely different. It's it's the, the same thing, but just packaged differently. And, uh, look, I, I wish them all the best because they are trying to, to – they are genuinely trying to be innovative. Um, and as I said, Jolo, the public seem to like it. Um, and mate, they're the only ones who, who matter. I mean, the fan is at the centre of everything. So if they're turning up to watch the hundred, um, then fantastic. Chris, just in in the last uh, little piece of the podcast, I, I met you through your 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 business interests and and your vision for the future of sport and. Obviously, that was smart sport, and 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 you had adapted that, and you had some real traction with uh, with the world of tennis. Can you tell us a little bit about where the, all that stands now, and and as as Grant said, how you're going to take that forward now? Yeah. Um, so uh, off the back of smart sports, which was um, Roger more about um, multi-camera um, virtual production, so sport being played. Uh, in an environment which uh, lends itself to utilising game engine tech and and doing those sorts of things. And, and when COVID hit, um, you know, sports governing bodies really were focused on tomorrow um, or today and tomorrow, let alone three months, six months, nine months, 12 months. So smart sports sort of went into hiatus um, about, you know, looking at, at ways that we could engage a younger audience or talk to a, a new audience. Um, but, you know, there's seedlings of things happening again as people are coming back online. But uh, an offshoot of, of that technology um, and sort of, uh, I, I suppose, a new pathway created um, along that same line was third-party data or using third-party data um, to then uh, create imaging um, from an AR perspective, which we could use um, live in sport um, to help tell story. Formula One do it very, very well. Um, and there's um, other sports that use it, perhaps more in a uh, in a commentary or analysis role, where they'll have graphics on screen and 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 putting more gamification into the footage um, to actually you know talk to a younger audience or inform people a better way. So. Um, that's something that uh, we've been sort of dabbling in um, and utilising uh, those that third-party data 
to then use graphics to tell the story um, for um, for production. So there's a, a good company made in uh, the US called Second Spectrum, uh, recently bought by Genius um, and a, two, a $200 million deal of stock and, uh, and cash. Um, but the NBA in October next year have uh, indicated that they're going to go all in on multiple broadcasts with um, different demographics looking, you know, not for a standard feed, but tailoring uh, feeds and using augmentation to help tell that story. Um, there's also a significant um, focus on live sports betting. Um, that seems to be the holy grail at the moment. Whoever can crack the ability to have uh, in-game live sports betting um, is something I think which can uh, help sports bodies around the world to you know to, to raise the level of their coffers. Um, and so with America coming online with all of that as well. So uh, augmentation in a nutshell um, can help with analysis, uh, in-game sponsorship with uh, branding, etc. Um, it can help with various broadcast feeds going out to different uh, demographics and then also uh, live sports betting. So, you know, that's very much the field, mate, that I'm operating in um, and will continue to do so. So you're going to be like just as before pushing full steam ahead uh, and and like challenging us all to to think differently it's nothing's going to change no i'm just sitting down now <laughs> so, so that's, the, <laughs> that's, that's the only difference so so mate i'll still give you shit and uh, and cause you headaches um but uh, i'll just be sitting down doing it so you might actually even be taller than me now Rog. oh <laughs> Now you see, now you see, that's the shortest joke, you know, it's, it's not racism, it's not sexism, it's just yeah. height challenged. Yeah, I take but, that. Actually, but, uh, yeah, but if you, but uh, if you, yeah, I could be pulled up on that in 10 years time when they sort of come around to that one, so I could be screwed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, this is going to be tame. <laughs> there, there are so many other possible vectors of attack. I mean, you just, just have to pick one of them, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, Chris, let me ask you, and, I, and I, I'm going to be the one that comes back to this because I'm, I'm just so fascinated by it. And I, and I know there'd be a lot of people listening to this that, as we said at the top, are, are, in, are inspired by what you've done and, and are going to be around people going through similar challenges. And I, as I say, I, wa I watched my friend go through this, you know, quietly with her family and friends around her, inspiring her every day and, 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 and her inspiring us in equal measure. Yeah, but for you, yeah, is it a burden or is it a privilege to, to almost be forced to go through this in in the public eye? Because you know, on the one hand, there are so many people you can reach and inspire, whether it's inspiring people going through a similar situation or to help raise awareness, to help raise money, whatever it may be. But at the same time, it kind of takes away in many ways that ability for you to have that tough day because so many people are counting on on, on Chris Cairns being being their heroes they go through these things yeah I think that sort of go, I, I, I pretty much lived my life I think uh, with through that lens anyway Grant like I even yeah. when I was okay. growing up in sport um, mate I, I you know I every I couldn't go out and, and drink piss as a teenager because you know that would be on the front page of, of a paper um, and so you know I've always I was just thankful mate there was no camera phones around the right. time. but um <laughs> God Almighty! But um, you know that that degree of public scrutiny is something that I've yeah it's it's more normal than not normal if you know what I mean right, like right. it's just part and parcel of, of what you do. But I I think as well um, you know uh, it's it's interesting because if if I can help um, others coming through this um, uh, devastation and in, in, in what you knew as as your life previously. 
because um, you know, I've reached out to, to other people who I won't name because, you know, again, it's, you know, a lot of these conversations are private. But, you know, I've had a heap of help from people who have been in my situation, but they're two years down the track. And, and really, you just want to pay it forward. So my, my role then is to come into this and, and live what I have to do. And then when I get contacted or I have people that, you know, come in, you, you, you pay it forward. You know, that's, that's, that's what you do. And you pass on your experiences, but also the information that I got from others that was, you know, really helpful. And, um, and so I think that that's really the, the journey you're on. And, um, and if that can help someone who's feeling a bit down or a bit, um, you know, uh, I suppose disillusion uh, with uh, what life holds. Um, then that's all you're that's all you're trying to do. And you know, I think that that's being human, um, and that's the and that's where for me, you know, I think it's come sort of full circle from all the shit that I went through and the court cases and everything, where you get dehumanised a little bit. Um, yeah. Then it sort of comes back around to where people are like. Well, actually, um, you know, it's he's he's made it through. Uh, you know, he's been in a life-threatening situation, so shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to support him. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's that's part of it as well. So, it's it's one of you know, again, life's journeys, and as we get older, we get more stuff thrown at us. Um, this is a pretty big one, uh, but one that I'm made. I'm determined to do to do well. In. But again, you go through shit days. But you know, that's the one thing that people have to understand as well is that it. It's it's hard, man. It's really hard, but it's just you know you get up, you get up and you keep going, and you just have to keep going. Listen, mate. Um, it's it's been great to see you. Just looking a million dollars, sharp as a tack. You know, great attitude. Um, I, I think uh, I can only speak for myself, but I know that everybody is is inspired by this. You know our small little ups and downs in a day, the little things that frustrate us. You just need to think a second about about you or listen to, you know, you on this podcast and it makes it completely, completely different. Uh, so I wanted to thank you for that. Um, this summer's been a great lesson for me and I mean that. Yeah, Chris. And, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry, mate. No, go, Graham, please. No, I just wanted to add to that. I mean, when, when Rog told me what had happened, um, you know, after the initial shock, I, I, I said to Roger, I said, you know what, if this is going to happen to anyone, you know, it, it's a good thing that's happened to Chris. And I mean that in the sense that you've just demonstrated over the last hour, you know, your fighting spirit is such an inspiration. And, you know, I, I, I commend you for the way you've handled this. And, you know, we all wish you everything with the recovery. And if any of us can do anything, even if it's just ring up and take the piss, you just let us know if, if Mel needs if Mel needs a break from being the hard ass Aussie wife. I've got an Aussie passport, and I'll give it to you in spades if you need it. I promise you. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Well, and the only thing I can add is that for, for a little while, Kenzie, I've deliberated whether I should send you the bell for a, a new jacket. <laughs> and I think on reflection, I pro- I think on reflection, I probably will. So it, you just expect that be coming over to Canberra no, no, quite Jola, soon. Have you ever have you ever sung on the podcast? Um, no, I, I haven't, but it, that may come in 2022. Please make sure that going forward um, that Jilo gets on the uh, the ivories and um, and actually sort of bounce a, a little tune out. That should be something that all the listeners um, can can uh, can look forward to. Well, listen, and, and I wouldn't worry about the jacket. I wouldn't worry about the jacket, Chris, because po- <laughs> polyester's not that expensive. So, I, I... <laughs> well, no, it was twi- it was tweed. No, top top notch tweed. <laughs> Great stuff. All right, Chris. Thanks so much. Thanks. Cheers, guys. Thank you very Take much. Care. Take care. Anything Cheers. you need, Chris, obviously. Anything you need. Thanks, Rog. Cheers, guys. Take much care, love. man. Thank you very much. Take care, mate. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye-bye.
Oh man, I tell you, I get choked up thinking about it, let alone talking to him. It's just, it's just remarkable. Honestly, it's just remarkable. Well, I think what um, Chris said so ably then was sport sometimes has a, a sort of overextended sense of what it is and how important it is. And then really things, stories like that tell you what's really important in life, which is about people and great human beings, people who can inspire. And I think that the way he has conducted himself, the way the family have conducted themselves, not just to try and get through what's happened to him, but also to to use this as a way to inspire others is one of the great stories. And it's such a privilege, I know, for all of us to, to count him as a, as a good friend. Um, and I hope that the people who listen to him and people maybe who've had other thoughts about Chris will, will hear today of what a very special human being he is. Yeah, couldn't agree with that more. I'll agree with that more. Well, look, we've run out of time, gents. Um, our thanks to everybody out there for listening. You can follow Chris on Twitter and uh, follow him as he goes through his recovery. Uh, you'll be able to do that on either Twitter or Instagram. His handle's the same on both. It's at ChrisCans168. And, um, you know, it's just uh, it's just a fantastic place to see Chris going through this in the way he is. It's just, uh, as I say, it's remarkably inspirational. Uh, and in the meantime, if you are not following us already, uh, shame on you. Frankly, you should be doing that. And you will find us on Twitter at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. You will find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. You'll find me, Giles Morgan, at Giles Morgan 71. And you'll find myself at RPM Como, as in the lake. As in the lake. Gentlemen, until next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you, James. Take care.